Are you ready for a new year and a smooth you? It's Dr. Jamie here, and I want to tell you about Milan Laser Hair Removal. The new year means a fresh start, so let's make 2022 the best year yet without the hassles of getting rid of unwanted hair. Laser hair removal is the absolute best way to ditch stubble with permanent results. That means that you can enjoy 2022 and beyond without worrying about daily shaving or booking those time-consuming, costly wax appointments. At Milan Laser Hair Removal, the average client is over 95% hair-free within seven to 10 sessions. Plus, their exclusive unlimited package is included with every purchase at no extra cost. So your hair-free results are guaranteed for life. And there's no touch-up fees ever, absolutely ever. The best part is it's safe and it is effective. This podcast is all about using my medical expertise to help others. So I love that Milan Laser was founded by board-certified physicians and their providers are all medical professionals. They are the largest laser hair removal company in the United States with over 160 locations nationwide. And because laser hair removal is their sole focus, you're always in the hands of experts who have the medical oversight to give you the best results. Are you ready for a new year and a smooth you? If so, give Milan Laser a call at 833 no razor. That's 833 no razor. Or you can visit milanlaser.com today and use my code fitandfab60. That's F I T A N D F A B 60 to get 60% off any body area, excluding full body purchases. That's fitandfab60, all one word. Thank you, Milan Laser. to the Fit and Fabulous podcast with Dr. Jamie Seaman. Hey, everybody, Dr. Jamie, welcome back to the Fit and Fabulous podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in every single Monday when we drop new episodes, every time you share, every time you like, every time you comment, every time you send this to your family and your friends, you're helping us get these important messages out to the world. I can't tell you how much I've appreciated you guys. We've grown so quickly. Uh, we're only uh, 20, 30 episodes in. So thank you guys for all the love out there. Well, today's guest, I've been super excited about getting her on the Fit and Fabulous podcast. I have just loved her energy. Every time I see her Instagram posts, I feel like feel like we'd hang out on Friday nights together. So, uh, <laughs> but I love the important things she's doing in the health space too. So you guys, I want to introduce you to Dr. Stephanie Rimka. She works at Brain and Body Solutions, and I can't wait for her to tell us what she does because her background is, is so interesting to me, but she helps people optimize their health. And uh, she does this through a functional medicine approach. Uh, brain therapy. She teaches online courses. She's got uh, a doctor of chiropractic degree, but Stephanie, Dr. Stephanie Rimko, welcome to the Fit and Fabulous podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Jamie. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. Okay. So, so tell us your story. What do you, what do you do? How did you get there? Yeah. Well, you know, it's really interesting because I liked how you said that when we talked off, you know, camera before, like, I don't really know exactly what you do. And I do a very weird thing and I'm a weird combination. I'm a little bit of an outlier that I 
um, have combined a few modalities that not anybody else kind of really has combined all of them. So um, a lot of physicians refer to me. So I'm not a medical doctor. I am in the more, you know, the holistic, vitalistic space, but I work in conjunction with a tremendous amount of psychiatrists and psychologists and um, talk therapists such as DBT. So I ended up, I was in, I'll go back it up real fast, but in college, I was debating, you know, on my way to pre-med, did I want to be a child psychiatrist or an orthopedic surgeon? And I was being kind of- the same things. (laughs) No, not at all. And I had two professors, like, I ended up with kind of two advisors, right? Kind of like both pulling me different directions. And my psychology professor- um, I just kept taking psychology. It wasn't part of the major. I just kept taking courses and courses because I really liked it. It was like the only thing I kind of liked. I didn't really like any of the other courses I was taking, but you know, you're pre-med, you got to take them all. And he was kind of pushing the child psychiatry. And he was like, look, let me explain to you. And this was 1990, whatever, right? I graduated in 95. And he's like, all these kids all these crack babies, all these kids are being born addicts. Like they're going to need medications on and on kind of explaining you love this this is what you you're you know my growing up in my background of where I grew up in Detroit I was exposed to a lot of things so he's like this is all in your wheelhouse and like you could excel and you're gonna you could crush it you could do something like the industry is insane I'm like okay and you're a woman you know these guys were really cheering me on like there's not many women doing this like you could you it's really a big it's important you do it and then my other advisor in biology I was a college athlete and he's like look you're a beast and you could be an orthopedic surgeon and not many women can do that you know, you're almost six feet tall, you're strong, you know, short women, small guys can't be orthopedic surgeons. You have to be big. Physical. It's a physical job. I don't very, very physical. Yeah. Like, you can yeah. do this. And you'd be one of very few women who could, you, you could name your ticket. Right. So I was like, huh? Okay. That makes sense. You're into sports, you're into biomechanics. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And though, as I went on and I had my own kind of health crisis and undergrad um I broke my back in a game a soccer game and my thyroid crashed and nobody could figure it out so I kind of became very disillusioned with the healthcare system but I didn't I couldn't put a name to it so I said okay let me take a year off before I commit eight years of my life and borrow all this money and so I used that time to explore and so I worked as a caseworker for schizophrenics in a mental hospital mental health hospital in Detroit and also was in a lot of surgeries. Most of my friends' dads were all surgeons. So they like were like, here, come on, come on, come on. So I got to do a lot of things that this kid from Detroit on welfare growing up how I was, never would have had a chance to do otherwise. So it was kind of comparing the two things. And I still liked them both. But I had this weird aha moment with my chiropractor getting adjusted. I've been adjusted for a very long time since I was a teenager. And he finally explained something. So it made sense to me. And I basically had a light bulb moment. And I said, wait, because of the way the brain and the neurology totally impacts the way you perceive the world and the way you process. So the schizophrenics are getting bad information in, not processing it well, therefore they're having bad output, bad behaviors. He goes, correct. And I said, so they need to be adjusted. He goes, correct. I said, well, that, and I just knew right then, that's what I'm going to do. How do I, where do I go? He said, Atlanta, six months later, I moved and enrolled in grad school um, to become a chiropractor. But my entire focus was on schizophrenics, drug addicts, and people in the prison system. That's who I came to school to help. Not, it was nothing to do with the musculoskeletal system. I just understood finally why I was so much happier when I was getting adjusted. Cause that's what I said. And why am I so much happier when I'm, when you see, when I see you, I don't understand. It's not about my pain. 
what I completely see the world differently when I see you consistently. Why is that? So when he when I really understood the neurology of what he was doing and what input, you know, out in, in and out was doing to my system, that's when I decided. And then while I, so that was the whole way I approached that. I was like, oh, because of what I was seeing in the mental hospital, no schizophrenics were, were better. They were over medicated. They were drugged out seven to 12 medications and then more medications, right. To deal with, Oh, now they have tardive dyskinesia. Now we got to give them something else for that. Now, you know, it, it was a, it was a very hopeless situation. And I, in my naivete, I was like, I, we can save them all. <laughs> you know, like, like I can, I can do this. Right. Um, it's a little bit harder than that. I, I've discovered, but you can save a whole lot of them. Um, and, and psychiatry doesn't believe that. They believe it's done, it's irreversible, and that's not that's not true. So that's kind of what happened. But while I was in school, my nephew was diagnosed with autism. And that really changed the game. When my big sister called and said, I need help. And I said, okay. And so then I started devouring that whole thing. And all of his doctors then trained me. They handheld me, coached me through the genetics, through the GAPS diet, through the gut, through the neurotransmitter labs. I was completely mentored for a very, very long time through all of them and through neurofeedback. And so it was through that process that hands-on with my nephew and watching his journey that completely changed everything for me. And then I had to focus on brain therapies. And I became board certified in neurofeedback. So really integrated neurotherapies is really what I focus on using electricity, magnetism, brain waves, um, PEMF, things like that to alter brain function and structure of kids and adults with things like ADHD, dyslexia, autism, depression, suicidal ideation, bipolar, um, schizophrenia, uh, all of those things. So I was able to kind of merge what I went to school for eventually. So and I studied, I studied these niche areas, orthomolecular yeah. psychiatry is a very, very small branch of functional medicine that very few people know about that was started by Dr. Hoffer in Canada, um, that it deals with nutrient therapy and testing very specific things in psychiatry that nobody else is looking at. So that's, that's kind of what's happening. And I, I, what I do is basically hire mentors, PhDs, physicians, kind of these outliers. And then they just have trained me one-on-one -on -one for a certain amount of years. And that, that's been the way I've, I've figured it out. Incredible. That's incredible. Um, can we talk about autism for just a little bit? Uh, it's such a, I don't want to say controversial area, but you know, we're seeing the rates of diagnosis go up, just the diagnosis in general is, you know, controversial. It is such a spectrum. I personally think that what you're doing kind of in this functional space, there is so many things to offer these families who are dealing with this, but can you just talk to us about what you learned with his diagnosis and what you've learned as a, as a practicing provider? Cause I think there's so many out there that are listening right now that would probably benefit from from the discussion yeah you know autism i think the word controversial definitely is related to it um there's a few words when i think of autism i definitely think epidemic i think ignored i think invisible you know the rates right now we're estimating it's roughly one in 38 children in america to be diagnosed with autism and this um i do take a very strong stand that has nothing to do with oh, suddenly we, we're diagnosing better. No, mm -hmm. suddenly more children are having brain damage. And autism to me is straight up brain damage um, because I've seen it, we can reverse it. 
right? These children are actually in, in a tremendous amount of physical pain. So as where I see the spiritual beauty in many ways of the rightness of it, and I'm not trying to like, so here's, here's the controversy in many ways in my field, we wanna embrace neurodiversity, right? Like, absolutely, of course we do. However, we have to call a spade a spade. And if somebody was damaged because you injured them, whether that was a baseball bat to the head or you let them chew on a mercury thermometer, I don't care, they've been damaged. And we have to do whatever we can to help recover normal uh, structure and function. So we're at epidemic rates and nobody's really talking about it. So basically right now it's like one, on a school bus of kids, at least one of the, every, every school bus has a kid with autism. And the way it gets portrayed, you know, often in the media, you know, news stories or a movie, there's always this warm and fuzzy, amazing genius savant or something where that's a very rare outlier. The majority of these families are dealing with children who are in such distress, they're scratching themselves, they're banging their heads against the wall, they're pooping and smearing their feces on walls, they're biting their own mothers, not because they're intending to hurt anybody, but they're suffering. They're, they're in torture from a vast majority of uh, a, a severe inflammation that goes to the gut, you know, and then to the brain. So it, it's been an interesting journey of, you can get a lot of autistic better, children better just by addressing the brain. And you can get a whole lot more if you go after the gut and the brain simultaneously. Um, so some people will only go after the gut. Some people will only attend to the brain. And some people like me will be going after both. Um, I think there's a deep spiritual lesson. I have a lot of reverence for that soul that chose to come in. I do believe in general, we're choosing to kind of come in ahead of time, knowing what we're, what, what's, what's kind of gonna happen. Like, okay, I'm willing to take that on. And I think there's something outrageously uh, courageous about these little spirits that are coming in to say, all right, I'm willing to do this to, to, to be a canary in a coal mine to basically teach people. So I've seen, you know, so it, it's an interesting thing. I want to help correct the dysfunction because I want children to talk. I want them to laugh. I want them to be able to hug their mothers. You know, for a child to be in such distress, they can't be hugged because it hurts them. You know, that, that brings tremendous pain to a family. To so imagine if you're a mom, I'm a mom. Can you imagine if your, your children were, were ran from you if you tried to hug them? You know, that's what families are going through and they're going there. It's breaking them. It's the highest um, divorce rate are families with autism. The stress is tremendous. The financial strain is outrageous. People are bankrupting themselves to try and rescue their children with all the, what we would call alternative therapies, which I think is a horrific and, and slanderous word to basically say, because the medical community has zero treatment. They have ADA right, right. therapy. Respiridol, basically, we're going to tranquilize them, numb them out, maybe some ABA, which has its place. It can make improvements with some children. It's not the end all be all. Uh, and, and maybe some, you know, occupational therapy, speech language, which, you know, it's, it's not getting to any real corrective cause because there's a lot of controversy as to what is causing it. Right. Yeah, I was just about to ask. I mean, if we're seeing an increase in diagnosis, you know, as a scientist, I'm thinking, okay, then like, what is it? Is it something in our environment? And um, I was talking to a cancer researcher last weekend, and she said, you know, the number one way uh, to to treat cancer is to not get it. And 
for adult type diseases, heart disease, cancer, these types of things, right? I'm very like forward thinking preventative medicine. But when you're talking about, you know, I've had a, a colleague whose two-year-old was, was diagnosed with, with autism. And so then as an obstetrician, I'm thinking, okay, epigenetic influence, is this something in utero? And there are some new studies that are kind of looking at that. Um, what, what have you seen, you know, like, do you have a, a theory about it? Do you, well, why are you know, we seeing have, more of it? Yeah. I mean, this will be real controversial and it is what it yeah. is, but I will say, um, it's at least, it's about 90%. It isn't 100% of every family that comes in, but it is nine out of 10. And I've seen thousands of children with autism over 25 years. Um, and I've heard this story countless times. I've held, you know, crying mothers and crying fathers. They all tell a very similar story. I'll say, well, you know, about the diagnosis and this and that, I go, oh, and I'll, I'll approach it gently. Like, so can you, is there any moment that we were, something happened that you can recall? Oh, I can tell you exactly what happened and when it was. Oh, okay, please tell me. Nine out of times out of 10, it is vaccine injury. It's every single time, high fever, extreme response, screaming, hospitalization, possible seizure. And that child is never again the same. It's, they say it over and over again. And it's typically around the same time and the same shots, not all, not all the time. And again, that is nine times out of 10. Um, it isn't always the same, but when you do look at the work of like Stephanie Seneff, PhD out of MIT, and other studies that have been done extrapolating, looking at the Amish community and the rest of the population. If you look at the Amish community, studies have been done. Um, looking at the data, they don't, case in point, vaccinate. They don't believe in it. And so the only cases of autism in the entire Amish community, they have some, and they found that people say, oh, see, but they have it too. Because if, it, if it's just environmental, it should be exactly the same, right? Nope, they were all adopted because they do adopt and those kids were vaccinated before they came into the community. And so there is some, some autism in there, but that's like, there's something to be said there. Stephanie Seneff has broken it down the best. Um, and what you can do basically looking at, we know about the genetics, why often, why this is, to me, this is, shouldn't be controversial. It's pretty common sense. You know, I know you're not a pediatrician, but I know you know these things, right? It's like, well, it's been common practice. Like if your child, when you go in for any visit, if they're, have a fever or congested or sick, we don't give the shots that, that day, right? Mm -hmm. That's pretty common. Well, parents don't really maybe understand why it's because okay, histamine levels are super high and that makes the blood brain barrier incredibly leaky. So we don't have the same protection systems happening all over the body, particularly in the brain. Not a good idea to inject, you know, antagonists to the immune system that also contain heavy metals. So let's not do that today, right? Let's get them strong and, and better. Well, on an epigenetic level, pretty much we can look at certain things. There's certain patterns you expect to see. Is this autism or not? Because a lot of, there are some misdiagnoses. PANDAS gets called autism a lot when it's really PANDAS and that we can see that a lot. There's can, you tell people what that, can you tell people what that is? Um, you know, I always mess up the acronym. <laughs> you know, neurological. It's basically a strep-based um, brain inflammatory disorder that leads yeah. to neurological symptoms such as OCD, tics, severe anxiety. It can be extremely debilitating. And it turns out um, 
it doesn't have to be, it's not exclusive to strep. There's a tremendous amount of other pathogens. Yeah, so for our listeners, panda, like the animal, panda with an yeah. S. Strep, <laughs> mold, a lot, staph, lots of other things can do it. There's roughly 200 pathogens that they're known that can end up. So people, it's interesting with like the COVID, I don't know if we can say the word. Um, they talk, you know, long haul syndrome. I'm like, you guys, this has been going on forever. This is not new. People yeah. have severe psychiatric symptoms post-infection all the time. And children are going through it in a much higher rate right now. I don't know. The yeah, I, uh, I, I, I'm not an infectious disease doctor, but the past two years, I have, I have more patients dealing with long COVID symptoms than you know, problems with the, uh, vaccination. Um, and it's, I mean, it's, it's real, like these things live inside of our bodies and interact with our DNA and our, I think epigenetic. We're seeing more because of the methylation problems. You know, I think it's because of this chronic high histamine and other, uh, problems we're having that we're not able to protect ourselves as well. Partly diet, part of the electromagnetic spectrum that's radiating us and causing more of this, right? So we can look at the genetics of these kids. If they did something as simple, like Japan doesn't do a single vaccination until a child is two. Like there are different schedules all over the world and they have completely different autism rates than we do, right? So some of these things are like, let's just look at it. And it's because there's different development and different system, the different ways the immune system is by that age, but we can look at the genetics, all autistic children. This is pretty much a blanket statement. I feel comfortable saying all 100%. I've never seen an outlier. We all pretty much are looking at, they all undermethylate. They have methylation disorders. That is what set them up to be more susceptible. Can you describe what methylation is for people that don't don't yeah, know. so it's methyl is a CH3, carbon and three hydrogens or sometimes four. So we call a methyl group. And basically, you know, we're, we're methylation machines. We're putting methyl groups on more than not, but we're putting them on things to kind of turn things off. So all of your DNA has a bunch of methyl groups to keep it all inactive, right? Because we've got the same DNA in the liver as we do in the eyeball. Well, what keeps the liver cell from becoming an eyeball? A whole bunch of methyl groups on it to keep everything turned off. We methylate things by adding a methyl group, like say estrogen, right? To detox it, to recycle it through the system. We're putting them on B vitamins to make them active so we can use them. So putting methyl groups on and off things whether it's DNA or a B vitamin or a hormone will make it active or help us recycle and and detoxify it and things of that nature. If you cannot do it enough in the proper range, you end up with um, low B vitamins. You end up with not having enough of things. You don't have enough glutathione, which is a perhaps a master antioxidant. I always question if it really is or not. An antioxidant in the system, the, uh, uh, the soap, the cleaner that keeps you deep, that keeps you clean and keeps things protected. You can't make enough of that. And you may end up with very high uh, levels of other chemicals and neurotransmitters such as histamine, which makes things people know of histamine as allergies, right? Allergies, congestion, rashes. Well, it's doing a whole lot more than that. But if it's doing that to your skin and your face, imagine what it's doing inside your brain, right? So it makes things leaky and weepy. And we have a blood brain barrier that's supposed to keep things out. Very, very select things only are supposed to get inside your brain. But a lot of histamine makes you really anxious, makes you depressed, as well as makes you pretty leaky. So things get into the brain now that should never have gotten there. So we have a very vulnerable uh, population. If we just look at their genetics ahead of time and said, look, 
we have all the epigenetics that are showing us this methylation on this child probably is not good. This is one we need to delay the schedule or question what we do because we're probably going to have a bad reaction. You know, mm -hmm. you can look at that ahead of time, but there's simple things that they don't do that. This is not standard of care. And if it, it this is not rocket science, it's a cheek swab, doesn't hurt a kid. You scrape yeah. your cells, find out what's going on and say, oh, this is a high risk population. Just like, we know, we're doing this for with ApoE4 with Alzheimer's now. I was going to ask, are there specific SNPs, you know, genes that you're looking at? That yeah. yeah, it's only a handful, really. And, and they're really common, MTHFR, COMPT, MTRR. There's a, we've, they've worked it out, you know, there's several researchers, you know, Dr. Ben Lynch and Amy Asco, people have worked this out pretty well. We don't know it 100% because, again, genetics are probabilities, right? And you can do a lot to turn the genes on and off. So I have a tremendous amount of methyl low methylation uh, markers. Um, I'm a low methylating kind of a person and it gives us a personality, right? We have a certain type, an under methylating person. It's not always pathological, but it can be pathological, right? So my whole family is, are low methylators, hence why we have autism in our family, highly right. susceptible to it. Why, why, why we have OCD in my family, why we have depression in my family, why we have addiction in my family. Mm -hmm. High risk group for those problems with low methylators. But we're also perfectionistic, well, high driven, highly successful. We will crush things. We're super competitive. You know, that's yeah. how we are. Right? Every physician on earth is a low methylator, by the way. Right? You want a surgeon. Where I need you to be that way because when you're cutting into a woman, right, to help her, you need to be a little perfectionistic. You need to be that you don't tolerate hot half-ass, right? Overmethylators are completely different. They're very laid back, very artistic, could care less. The dishes can stay dirty. We think of them as lazy, but it can go pathological either way, right? So anyway, we can tell these things with some simple testing and there's other, other ways of testing, but we're not doing that. We're doing a very cookie cutter, one size fits all, just get it done at any cost. And the denial and the refusal to acknowledge what's happening is what keeps putting people at risk. I mean, Andrew Wakefield was breaking this down. That's why they ripped away his license in England when he made the, you just a gastroenterologist who was like, I'm not an autism expert, but like, I'm telling you, this is the, there's something happened to this kid, all these kids guts after that shot. Why don't you just separate the three and put it in single dose? Why don't we just do that? Because if we do that, look, it doesn't destroy their body. This, that shouldn't have been that controversial to say, instead of MR, MR just, just do measles one time, a few months later, do the mumps. That's all he said, but he was vilified for it. When all he was yeah. saying was separate it, he didn't even say, don't do them. He just yeah. said, why don't you spread them out because it's too much trauma neurologically for the for these kids. I think that's the I think that's the tough thing we're facing right now is we're not allowed to ask the questions. And, and I mean, not even just what you're talking about, but like ketogenic therapy. You know, uh, right. when I first got into the space in 2015, 2016, like I was a total quack. Like just because the studies you know, haven't been performed or there's no meta-analysis. It's like complete rejection, which is not like where science started. Like science was about asking the question and then trying to find, you know, the answer to it. And these days it just seems, and social media of course exacerbates everything, but 
you know, they're really trying to make it feel like it's black and white and it's not. I mean, science is such a gray area and we're all built differently. This idea of methylation back to it for a second. I always think of it kind of like a light switch board, like a, like the operate, the old time operators that had like the plugs and the body's constantly like turning on and off light switches. And we all kind of have this circuitry that we're born with, but then of course you have all this environmental influence that either flips the light switches faster or turns them off faster. And that's, that's just how I, you know, rationalize it in my brain, the concept of methylation. And maybe that'll help somebody listening because they're probably like, what are they talking about? But, um, but we do, we all have these genetic, you know, susceptibilities. Um, I have every gene that they've figured out related to insulin resistance and diabetes, <laughs> even though, you know, I looked healthy from the outside. Like I ended up with pre-diabetes failed on my diabetes testing. So for, I'm just trying to like put this into a real world example for people that, um, it's not, you know, it's not because you did X, Y, Z, you know, it's just this perfect combination of like the amazing, beautiful biology that we're born with and then interacting with our environment. And we, as you know, we end up with things that, that are pathologic, you know? Um, and so then let's talk about kind of the, the solution aspect, cause that's what I'd love to focus on. So for people dealing, let's just make it like a broad umbrella spectrum of just like neurologic diseases. Okay. Um, what role does diet have for, for these patients? Well, it's big. Um, and I will say, you know, it's interesting. I have like a nice slight chip on my shoulder where when I get interviewed, right. People, different things. And I'm curious about your opinion at at this point as well. Um, people always want to pigeonhole it and say, they expect my answer to say the most important thing is the gut. I'm like, no, actually it's not always that answer. You guys where if I'm trying to, you know, triage what I'm trying to do with a patient, I'm like, you have a deranged thyroid right now. Like actually that's the most important thing because that's what's causing you to be depressed. That's what's causing you to be exhausted. That's what's causing all the things you think are coming from your gut. Like we have to stabilize your thyroid before I can even address that. And I'm sorry, I can do it a whole lot faster with some hormone replacement, right? I, if I can, if you we can do this right, you know, yeah, I'm going to have to address your diet to deal with the Hashimoto's, but first things first, I have to stabilize you because, you know, as you know, an unstable thyroid can actually make someone psychotic and put them in a psych ward. I've had that happen with patients. They thought they were schizophrenic and they were in a thyroid storm. You know what I mean? So it's a very, I think each person and where they are and what they're presenting with has to be addressed. So you can help brains tremendously without even touching the gut. And I, and I hate to admit that publicly, but it's, I'm not going to lie because I've seen so many, um, a great book. So anybody, if they're dealing with this is called healing young brains and it's by Castro and Hill, uh, two PhDs, two psychologists, and it's about neurofeedback, right? It's basically healing young brains and neurofeedback solution to like ADHD and autism and stuff like that. But I make pretty much most of my, almost all my patients read it, even if they're an, an adult and it's for them. It's the same thing. Healing an old brain is similar to healing a young brain. And you can get outrageous results by going straight into the brain, just doing brain therapies, neurofeedback, biofeedback, 
transcranial stim, all, all kinds of other things we're doing to modulate the brain in a non-invasive way, highly effective. These psychologists don't know anything about nutrition of the gut. They're not doing anything. They're not teaching anything. Right. They've been getting these results for decades, helping 80% of all their patients without knowing anything else about anything. They don't know about a neurotransmitter. They don't know anything. So let me just say that you can get tremendous results just starting right with the right type of therapy, right? Non-drug related. Then if you know how to couple in the gut and if you know how to couple in, you know, testing and balancing neurotransmitters and, you know, healing leaky gut and, and dealing with that and getting the biome correct. I mean, now we're super winning, right? Then if you know how to modulate the immune system on top of it, forget about it. We pretty much can, can get your entire system so coherent and in so so able to recognize itself it will self-correct all every single time all the time so it matters but it might not be exactly where i start um because sometimes they're in such crisis i can do i can you can have a way way big impact in three to five sessions of a neurotherapy to stop see i can stop a seizure but like with with neurofeedback a whole lot faster than i can with diet I will bring in a ketogenic diet for that. And the studies are actually there on that one, right? With ketogenic, you said there's no study. Yeah, there are studies. They've been doing using ketogenic diet, diet for irretractable seizures for decades. Mm -hmm. Yet it's not the you know first line of treatment for whatever reason, because they can sell the drug instead, right? So sometimes the research is there, Dr. Jamie, but for some reason we want to ignore it because we think patients can't do it. I think we're assuming right. we're too stupid or too lazy. It's not sustainable. Yeah, I think we have to stop right with that. Really, how hard is it to eat meat and fat? with a little bit of side vegetables. I don't think it's that hard to not eat pizza, to be honest. Well, I think it's hard. I think it's hard because we've created this world of convenience and we make assumptions that, you know, that we all just yeah. live in that. Yeah. And I mean, these, these patients, you know, or their children are really suffering and there really are a large subset of patients on there that are very motivated to work on lifestyle interventions. And there's such a few amount of health practitioners that have the tools to give them to do that. <laughs> it takes, yeah, it's true. It takes, and then, and here's where it's at. And the ones that are out here, the majority of us are fee for service, which means we're cash only. Right. right. Insurance isn't going to pay for me to talk to you for three hours. That's my first visit. You know what I mean? You cannot solve these complex problems in seven minute visits. You just mm -hmm. can't. You have to sit for hours and hear the stories, let people cry, see what's going on, see the all the list. I've had, you know, binders brought to me. I'm like, okay, well, I need, you know, autism moms are no joke. They've got a full binder documenting every therapy, every intervention, every hospitalization. I will look at the whole thing. I've sometimes spent five hours reviewing, and I don't usually charge them. Like, let me see. I don't know. I'm going to take care of your baby like, he, like he's mine. So right. let me see what was done, what worked. And you have to, I've gotten to the place where, you know, I'm okay with drugs being used as they need to be used. We're in a crisis. I got a text yesterday morning from a doctor friend of mine looking for a referral for a two-year-old with Dravet syndrome. So this little girl's having 50 plus seizures a day. That's a catastrophic seizure disorder. I don't actually know the life expectancy on that, but I was like, oh, out of my league. I know what this is. Here's what you need to like, here's my referrals, right? Here's the neurologist I use. Here's this, this one, boom, 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 boom. And yes, we will break our rules and neurofeedback, but she's need drugs because the parents are holistic. The parents are holistic. They're using a ketogenic diet. Great. 
and they're probably going to don't fight the meds right now because those every seizure is a traumatic brain injury for that little girl and we need to we need to try and stop that right so back to the diet let me just say it is very important but you can start to heal without being perfect right you can start on this brain um because that's a question people come in like, do I have to this? I'm like, no, but we, I'm going to encourage, you know, this is, you're going to save a whole lot of time and money if you put it all together, if we stack everything the right way. You do need to give the brain nutrition. So my caveat to that, as I've learned in practice, it is really hard to heal a vegan brain on a vegan diet. So I will say that is my one caveat. Like I have to explain you're a human animal and what is a human animal made of that brain tissue? I need a tremendous amount of cholesterol, essential fatty acids, DHA, EPA. I need all those B vitamins. I need zinc. I need copper. I have to have what I can only really get in those animal foods. And so after several years of still doing it and seeing beans, you know, just trying my best and was like, this is insane. I, I, how many, I, I, I was just feeling guilty with like the insane amount of supplements I was having to sell them. Plus they would need just dozens upon dozens upon dozens of more therapies and we're not having as good a response. And I really just finally figured out, well, how am I supposed to, it's like neural feedback and all these other brain fairs, it's like CrossFit for the brain, right? So as you know, you train, right? If you had a patient and you, you love lifting weights and working out, right? You're like a lunatic, Dr. <laughs> you're one of, you're like who we all wish we could be. I mean, I got a few years on you, but I'm like, Ooh, God, she puts, she makes me feel bad about myself. <laughs> okay. Like I, I don't do shit like you, but okay. I'm almost 50. So I'm going to pull the old card. Um, but you know, if you had a, a young woman walk in and she's anorexic, you know, she can't do what you do. You're going to say, oh, no, 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 I could kill her. So we have to feed and nourish her and rebuild her Mm -hmm. and give her the substrates to even make muscle and bone and connective tissue again before we strain it, before we bring on that hormetic stress of exercise. Well, neurofeedback is the same way. If I have somebody that's so Mm -hmm. depleted and starved, I can't hook them up three, four times a week and and put that type of stress on. It's not going to respond. So the way I kind of explain it is often like, you guys, look, if the road is broken, right? We send the highway people, the crew out there to fix it. So basically neurofeedback or or light therapy or PEMP or transcranial stim, it's kind of like all the workers. I said, but I have to give them asphalt and tar and concrete or whatever. like they need the substance to actually fix the hole in the road right. you can't just do it standing there with a shovel i mean what 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 how is that going to work so for me the cholesterol the b vitamins the copper the choline the dha all of that is what's going to fill the hole and, and rebuild the highways of the brain that the the neuronal networks is the highway so i gotta i'm basically building roads that, that parts of the brain that don't connect real well, waking up parts of telling other parts to calm down. That's what we're doing. So things can work in a cohesive manner again, but you have to have the right stuff in there to create the electromagnetic charge. You know, you, you can't create that charge and create the, build the roads. What's the point? Mm-hmm. So that's where I do I'm like, I have to have enough of that in and I'd much rather have people getting it from food than a bunch of supplements, you know, right. but yeah. Right. Yeah. As an obstetrician, that's, uh, I get real uneasy <laughs> patients that tell me they're vegan vegetarian. Oh. 
Um, and it's, and it's really just because I, I know the battle they're up against from a nutrient standpoint and, um, especially in pregnancy and thinking about epigenetic influence and things like that. Um, I'm never going to tell a patient, this is what you have to do. You know, my job is to give them the information and, and let them and us decide together what's best, you know, for their, for their health. But, um, so when you talk to parents, you know, of children about diet, I think that's such a hard thing because, you know, you're talking about feeding like a whole family and nobody ever wants to feel like one person in the family has to like eat a special way. Do you talk to them just about eating nutrient dense animal foods? Do you like, how do you, where does the family even start? You know, that's trying to make these changes for their child and assuming they probably have other children too. Yeah. Well, it's actually a beautiful point because I make a very big point of saying like, um, (laughs) so when you have a child as a patient, you end up having four or five people with that. You know what I mean? It's not like just a 30 year old, like, nah, it's a lot more work because it's a family system. And I, that, that child's ADHD or that child's the autism or the dyslexia or their, their anxiety and panic attacks, the entire family system needs support around that. Because once we remove that in the brain, let's say mom and dad and brother and sister can no longer keep projecting that disorder onto that child. You know what I mean? And they can no longer keep thinking of them the same way. Everybody's interaction has, like you can't treat the alcoholic like they're still an alcoholic once they're better. You know what I mean? You have to like, it, it's let's move on. So I always kind of treat everybody. And sometimes I'm blessed to be able to do brain maps on the whole, the whole family become patients. That's really the best way to do it because then you can balance everybody together and work on them. But when it comes to food, I absolutely am very, very strong on, oh, there's no isolation and not, no one's eating special meals. We're all doing it. This is how it's going to go because it's healthy for one of us. Healthy yeah. for us. And, and even, even if it's sometimes a more extreme diet, let's say it's autism. Let's say we've got to go hardcore. Let's say the gaps diet, which is a very beautiful starting point for anybody listening gut and psychology syndrome by Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride. It, get that book, start reading that. If you want to start approaching it, it's a great diet for a whole bunch of stuff, schizophrenia and things like that too. But autism, it's a beautiful, beautiful base of, of healing uh, for the gut for, for children. And I'm like, we're, you're all, we're all doing it. Like there is no, we're not make, there's no special weirdness happening. Like mm-hmm. this is, you know, we're in it to win it and it will be good for everybody. And that's how it is. And usually it's often like, so do you have a crock pot? Okay. You're going to buy one. <laughs> you know what I mean? It becomes um, teaching them about crock pots and Instapot. And I actually, my, several of my secretaries and, and, other interns and stuff I always had somebody kind of on staff that would be into that and we would finally like could you actually help coach and counsel and I mean so we've had I've had my staff like go shopping with yeah. me because they didn't know how to do it especially like these young 20 some year olds that have had bipolar been in and out of hospitals have no family they didn't really even know how to grocery shop they didn't know how to buy a pot roast and so it's like simple things you're like okay I'll teach you how to do it. like get some potatoes and carrot pot roast and onion put it in a pot like I promise you you can do this (laughs) yeah like I so one that's the first step is is these families who are overwhelmed imagine right mom's got three kids one's autistic she's trying to balance everything and so of course they're just grabbing that fast food and I'm like I'm so sorry your pediatrician didn't told you told you five years ago that there's nothing you can do that diet makes no difference I'm like well he's an idiot and he should be sued for malpractice as far as I'm concerned so let me be real clear Yes, you can. And Chick-fil-A is over today. So it's done because 
I am very strong about it with them. I don't do well. I'm like, no, if you want to get, you're, you're going to come in the, you, you say you'll do anything and you want to give me seven, $8,000 to do brain therapies. I'm telling you, you're going to end up giving me 20,000 unless you change with the diet on this kid. And it's not that hard. Meat and eggs and a little bit of vegetables. It's delicious. They'll like it. You know, he can have fruit. It'll be fine. So we do a transition, of course, for birthday cakes and holiday. You know, like we can make all those versions of these things for children. We want them to fit in. We want them to have normal social experience. Um, and, and believe it or not, the families can all pull it together. And I just meet them where they are. You know, Jamie, it's like if they're in kindergarten nutritionally, I'll meet them in kindergarten. I'll get them to fifth grade. If they're in fifth grade, great. We're going to get them to high school. Some people come in like college and I'm like, wow. I'm like, there's only a couple tweaks I need to do with you, but let's take you to your PhD. You know, so it, it's important and it is like a team effort and we just slowly keep working on baby steps. And that's why we do consistent appointments and, you know, encouraging them and not shaming them in general, women are usually overwhelmed and exhausted as it is. Um, but as I start feeding them some nutrition, if it, once I give them permission, like, you know, do you like steak? Oh my God, I love it. I'm like, okay, well then you're going to eat it really? It's not bad for my heart. <laughs> like, oh no, 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 no. So as soon as I feed her and nourish her, mama's brain suddenly feels calm too. Mm -hmm. Mama's brain suddenly doesn't feel as overwhelmed. So now the idea of cooking or doing something isn't as, it doesn't scare her as much. So it's really about nourishing all of them and everybody just kind of gets on board, you know? Yeah. 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 I know it's, anxiety provoking as a parent to have a child that's going through something. And, um, my own daughter has, has gone through, we've seen so many different specialists. And if I hadn't been in the medical world, I can't even imagine somebody trying to navigate, you know, that system. Okay. So diet, like always do the simple things first, but some of these neurotherapies that you offer, tell us about some of them. How do you decide where to start? Is, is it just bio-individual or, yeah, well, um, you know, a good history and exam, you know, you have to have that to kind of see where somebody is and to see, is their brain in a, in a really good receptive place for this, right? Um, I will say probably 80% of people who come in, we can do neurofeedback. And then there's a small percentage that I, like, again, are in some type of um, either starvation deprivation or severe toxicity. Like for example, with methylation, a, a common one I'll see where I can tell it's a methylation disorder and it's presenting as o severe OCD, suicidal ideation or something like that. And, you know, I'll do the blood labs I'm through the roof and, you know, they're totally not methylating, blah, blah, blah. And, but they've been seeing, they've seen other people, they've done all these B vitamins, they're doing everything, all the magnesium, they're taking, like, it, this, why is it not working? Why are these numbers still through the root? Like, they're, you can, they're not inflamed, they're fit, you know, it's like, hmm, they're doing, they're even doing the, the blue light and the sunlight, they're doing everything. I've had this, you know, like, huh, run some deeper labs, highest lead levels I've ever seen. Like, oh, hmm. well, lead, lead toxicity completely shuts down methylation. It breaks down the enzyme. So no matter what you're doing, nothing's going to work. So that in Nebraska, we have like really high lead levels. Here. Really? So, yeah. I mean, well, if, if you don't already test for that, people should look into that because it's one of those like things like why is nothing working and why is methylation still so poor? So it's, it's, you can, and so then you got to chelate out the lead. Well, so I won't do neural feedback. I could, but it, I'm really just, I would feel wrong for taking their money. 
I'm like, you might get a slight decrease in your little symptom, but why? Because neurofeedback, let's say, for example, that's a feedback therapy that requires typically at least three times a week because it's based on neuroplasticity of that the brain can change its function if you do something based on stimuli, right? But it, it takes repetition. It's over and over and over again. So like lifting weights, you got to do two, three times a week or whatever to get re results. But the beauty mm -hmm. of the brain versus muscles is once we hit that sweet spot in the brain and we've changed it, when we quit, it's permanent. It's not hmm. going to be the way a muscle is. So you don't have to keep doing it for life once we've made those connections in, in, in the brain and, and corrected. The, the brain will self-regulate. So neurofeedback is like holding up a mirror to the brain where you and I could like put lipstick on, right? Without a mirror. But right. as soon as we have a mirror and we have the feedback information, we just self-correct automatically and we're, we're better at it. That's what the brain does. So we give information back in real time of what it's doing of brainwaves of making too much of something or too little of something. And we can find the exact location of where we wanna activate the front of the brain, the back of the brain, the left side, the right side, whatever. So is the yeah. patient like hooked up to something? Like what is like- Yeah, yeah. so what it looks like, like is, it, what it looks like in general and typically, so you can do, so it's called electrodes that we hook onto your head, right? So we might have clips on the ears. We're going to have ground points. We have these little clips with some little paste on the ears. Then we have electrodes on the head somewhere and you could have one or you could have 19, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it will look a little different depending on the type of training we're doing, whether you have a bunch of electrodes with paste or we're putting a cap on like a, a neurologist. I cap. did one of these. I did one of these brain scans like two years ago. Yeah. And, uh, so that's what we use that cap on everybody, right? So. Right. The way I like you decide, so basically the history, I'm like, okay, I'm testing, are they ready? So if we're gonna do neurofeedback, I always do a, a brain map, right? So we're putting on the cap and we're recording electrical activity. And we have these incredible algorithms that turn that into what we call a brain map, a QEG. So you can look and see what are the normal patterns. So are they doing tasks and then you're measuring? You don't need any tests. Eyes open, eyes closed is all you need. Got yeah. it, okay. Now we do cognitive performance testing as well. So we do different, task testing to look at all kinds of skills and, and timing and visual tracking. So that's a separate thing. And I'll couple that information with what we see on the queue. Like you, you want to, cause you're not just the brain waves. Cause I'll tell you, you'll, we'll have certain brain maps and you kind of like, well, and if the person doesn't have any symptoms, like, and you're like, well, they're not having this, this, and this, and you go, nope. And you go, and then it's always, are they an engineer? And they go, yeah. I go, then they're totally normal. You know, so the brain will be looking abnormal, but I'm like, but engineers often have a certain low power freak signature because they're super efficient. So where we would call it, but if they have symptoms, I'm like, okay, now I have to address it. And we've also had people, we do maps, like they've had brain surgery because they had a tumor removed or something. And so their brain map has some really bizarre compensations but we check we're like, okay, are you having any of those symptoms? No. Then we go, then we're not touching it actually, because it's technically abnormal to the normal database, right. but because of what you've done with all the meditation and, and mindfulness, your brain has restructured itself in such a way that I think it's best we leave it alone. Right. So sometimes we, it's like all testing. It's like lab testing. Like don't order a lab unless you really want to know, or you want to do something with it. Cause it always has to be correlated clinically yeah. with what you're seeing. Yeah. So that's what we'll do with the brain map will come up and then we use that to come up with protocols. And then we train, you know, typically most neurofeedback, the research will show it's going to be 30 to 40 sessions 
is about the baseline to make it permanent. Mm -hmm. So we don't really want to do anything. 10 sessions for what? Like, you know, so most of us are going to be like, this is a 40 session minimum contract, but we can kind of tell this will be 70 sessions. This is probably going to be 80 sessions, you know, but let's say with a kid with ADHD, 40 sessions, almost always bangs it out. It's almost always removed. No big deal. And you'll say, you're going to, they're going to, you're going to see a difference in five to 10 sessions. You'll see it right away. It's not permanent. However, you have to keep finishing it and and making that pathway so strong. It's it, it, that it's a dirt road turns into a super highway. That's what we're trying to do. Turn these dirt roads in the brains into super highways that will never can be ignored again to make focus really, really easy for a child or an adult. Yeah. I I was, it made me think of, I saw something in the news recently about how, uh, I can't remember the statistic. I want to say it was like one in four teenagers now is on medication for ADHD. And, um, I recently donated blood for those that follow my social media, which is a great thing for your health. But, um, it, I was reading an article about how blood donors, like the level of Xanax now in like, oh, blood yeah. donating, cause there's like certain things they don't ask about, right? Like, could you, yeah. Uh, malaria, HIV, like there's obviously like transmissible diseases yeah. that they don't want in the blood, but any prescription medication you're on, like is in your blood. And I know. I read the same. I was blown. I didn't think about that either. I was like, I was like mind blown. And I'm, you know, it's like, it's one unit of blood. And I guess if you're hemorrhaging, like a little bit of Xanax, (laughs) 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 but, um, but I saw a, uh, I don't know if it was Mel Robbins or somebody who shared something recently. And it just basically said that like, you don't have anxiety and depression. You have an untrained mind. And I was like, gosh, that's such an interesting like context to like think about it in. Um, because we think about all these things like that they're pathologic, pathologic, like, like you caught anxiety at the mall or whatever, but it is, it's like an untrained mind. I like Um, that. I think it's, it's, it's either way it's an untrained mind or you've actually trained it into that disorder. Trained it, yeah, like no, yeah. Because what yeah, you practice yeah. grows. You developed a bad habit. Yeah. What you practice goes grows, and whatever you practice doing over and over again, the brain is going to make itself be that way. And right. what we've done with the way we're raising our children now is they've gone from being outside, exploring, being physical, so they have low body organization, low muscle tone, low sensory integration because they're not moving. And the vestibular cochlear system in the ear is not getting the exercise it's supposed to because they're sitting and sitting and sitting. And then what are they doing most of the time? They're looking at digital screens, mm-hmm. which is completely altering the brain uh, structures. I mean, and I, we, we put this on for parents to see, we, we show them the brain. We said, well, I want you to watch, see what their brain is doing at rest, put on Minecraft. We let them play Minecraft. We show them, do you see what just happened? I go, this is the brainwave of focus. This is the daydreaming brainwave. This is the meditation wave. You know, this is the anxiety wave watch. And the parents' eyes explode and go, that's why I'm telling you they shouldn't be playing that game. You are creating ADHD in the child by letting them do this. So we've really changed the way, I mean, you know, there was no, I'm 40, I'll be 49 next month, right? So family vacations, we're getting the station wagon and drive. And you know what you did? You you read a book, you played a game, you you punched your brother or something. There was no electronic devices. There was no watching a movie. There was no, there was, you know, look for license plates, look out the window. What do the clouds look like? (laughs) You know, the brain was forced to exercise. The brain was forced to practice imagination. The the brain was forced to sequence, look at patterns, come up with new ideas. It was okay to be bored. You know, lots of things come from boredom. That's a magical state for the brain, but we're, we've really changed the way we've done things with the advent of all these handheld devices and it's creating brains that cannot focus 
and it's creating brain center in fight or flight. The flicker mm -hmm. rate of every screen creates a sympathetic flare in the brain every single time. So you might not think that kid looks anxious, but the, but the brain is anxious. Right. Oh, so this is what, so I like that idea, but we're actually training the mind uh, to be a certain way. And then every time you're doing that, you're not training, you, then it's untrained in other things like sustained, yeah. sustained attention, mindful int intention, meditation. It can't, it no longer can do that. Yeah. And it's not just young minds, like neuroplasticity, like we know even, you know, it's even more important as we age. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I think yeah. I see it a lot and you may, I don't know how long you end up seeing people afterwards, but I see it as a big problem with young mothers mm -hmm. uh, not being you know, connected with their children because they're so connected with their devices. So mm -hmm. they're really dissociating from the normal bonds. And so I think part, some of why we're seeing rises in children's epidemics is because they don't have the connection with the parent the way they're supposed to because parent has an addiction problem, right? And a right. dissociation non-presence problem, yeah. Yeah, um, I live at such like a fast pace. I was diving into this literature on dopamine and you know, like I feel better when I go on a vacation, right? It's like, and everybody just think it's, but then there's this thing called like post-vacation depression. And, um, and I was, I was diving into the literature on this and we live in a society where it's like swipe, tap, this, that, and we get these dopamine responses and we actually become so like desensitized that we need even like a bigger stimulus and a bigger stimulus. And sometimes things like a vacation or a day without technology or like boredom is like actually such an amazing thing because what it allows us to do is like reset that dopamine response. Mm -hmm. Um, and these are just like things that people don't think about, um, the way that our neurologic system yeah. really interacts and, and drives everything as kind of a master computer. They just aren't taught about it. Right. Like I, I do find it stunning and I'm sure you do too. Cause I, you know, I follow the, your social media, like masturbation orgasm kick your, that you're into, right? Like part of the thing, you're like, this is the thing and we should be talking about it. Women should know. Well, just like women don't know that, like about their own bodies and, and how it works. Like we don't know. I mean, most people are not taught about the power of the, the human technology, the power of what really is going on here. They don't know about their brain. They don't know about what dopamine is, serotonin. They certainly never heard of anandamide. The people, people just don't know what anything is. So they don't know that they have the power of bliss and, and love and joy and connection right within them and how to access and harness it. We aren't taught, we aren't taught that, right? So instead of, you know, we waste a lot of time in school on a lot of stuff that's really superfluous, that means nothing. Instead of how to access the, the looking at yourself as a divine technology. How, what is epigenetics? How, what is DNA? What is, what are these neurotransmitters? How, how can I leverage that then for myself and my children and how we develop? If people understood that, they would look at their choices very differently. Like, is this good for my brain or not? Mm -hmm. Is this good for my soul or not? Is this good for my family or not, right? Yeah. It makes like, oh, because most of it is they just don't know. You know, you you don't know until someone teaches you. I, you and I have gone through the same. We, we both do. You're like, oh, I didn't know that was bad for me. You know, like I didn't know. I didn't think about glyphosate in my tampons until somebody pointed that out, and I went, uh, wow. <laughs> Not I didn't think about the pesticides in the cotton that I was inserting into my body. So thank you for informing me. I can't believe I didn't know that, right? So we, and you're not gonna know everything, but I think if people knew about their bodies and how to be healthy, 
it would, it would be a total game changer because that's where the empowerment comes in. Now you understand, you can think differently and go through the process of what's a good choice for you and what's not, why something makes sense, why, you know, without going to a doctor having to tell you basically. Well, I think it's just so empowering to know that you have a large amount of control, right? Over, over these more control. And I think that's, you know, not to bash your Rockefeller medicine training, Dr. Jamie, but I'm not a Rockefeller medicine fan, but because as you know, most of it is teaching people they're powerless, right? Like, no, you just have this for life and you can't do anything about it. Oh no, there's nothing you can do about Hashimoto's. There's nothing you can do about PCOS. Just take the pill. There's nothing you can do about this. You, You just have an anxiety disorder. You need to learn to live with it for life that's just you you have this this is how you are um no not not true at all Mm -hmm. you know it can i'm a big believer anything and everything the body can reverse right it was made to heal us up it's constantly healing you and i are healing right now it's it's what it's always designed to do yeah i had a gal reach out to me yesterday she's had multiple sclerosis and she's had like she's not my patient she's just a you know follower colleague but she's had amazing amazing results with ketogenic therapy like regression of some of the plaques on her scans. Like her neurologist is just completely mind blown. And she's like, have you done a podcast on this? I really, I really need you to do it because I just want other people out there to know that this doesn't have to be, you know, a horrible, progressive, debilitating life ending, altering, you know, diagnosis. I have dozens and dozens of MS patients, dozens. I did the whole walls protocol, you know, certification and all that. And lots of my friends and lots of my patients and Yep, ketogenic and and many of them we have to go all the way to carnivore and then they see up even outrageous yeah. results and there's all kinds of things with peptide therapy with them i mean there, there's so many things that traditional physicians are not doing yeah peptides are an outrageous signal molecule for things like that um and of course stem cells exosomes I mean, those things can get very 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 pricey but there's lots to be done and also with light we do a lot of, i do use a lot of light therapy uh for brain and body inflammation um and i do a lot of that with ms makes a big difference Okay. So tell us how you, like, what is your daily routine? Cause obviously you want to feel and function and I follow your IG and you just got out of the ice bath right before we started recording. <laughs> we should have recorded from the ice bath. Oh, no, I couldn't sit there that long. <laughs> okay. What are the things you do to take care of yourself? Cause people always say that they're like, well, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. So I've been meditating for over 20 years. Um, it's still not easy for me. It's still hard. This last year and a half meditation has been the hardest for me. I think it's almost like it was in the beginning. So, but meditation, uh, and visualization every morning, uh, I'm a big fan of, um, ritual. So routine is like, I wake up and I deal with the dog and his insulin shot, right? And I make coffee or whatever, right? But the ritual are things that are very mindful and have meaning to me. So mm-hmm. waking up, I kind of go through things where in my mind where, you know, we'll say a few things before I even got, get out of bed. Maybe just my heart is filled with love today, right? I'm grateful that I, that I can breathe something. And I usually cycle something in about a three month rhythm. Okay. So I usually have something I'm working on a mantra or something. So there's always a mindfulness before I even get my foot out of the bed. And then in general, in the, my mornings are, um, I love the sauna. So I like heat. Um, so I have a sauna that I do every day that is, you know, my fake cardio, that really that mimics cardiovascular exercise. So that's how I get cardio. And I sit on my ass in the heat. 
So I'm not, I'm not jogging or stairmastering or whatever, right? Um, I do that red light every day. So I go outside in the sun. So that's really the first thing I always, so I do the morning thing, but I always hit the sun light. I can't stay out there too long because I have a bunch of stuff I have to, you know, get done with the dog. But um, sauna every day. Um, typically now the cold plunging is somewhere coming after that. I do lift weights right now I'm into the x3 bar I'm, I'm playing with yeah. that you know because it's quick and easy and I was coming off a big injury and I'm like well let me see what this will do right so lifting weights of some kind of sort those are it's the foundation of my morning um I do neurofeedback on myself I just kind of restarted again I was took some time off I'm like so I, I trained myself I do neurofeedback um so I'm using light therapy I use the v light I use so there's a bunch of little stuff I'm doing to kind of regrow my brain, deal with the stress of the last two years um, and deal with some, uh, probably some perimenopausal changes, you know, um, that's kind of the rhythm of, and then I work, right. And I, I'll see patients and stuff like that. I take breaks to get out in the sun and do a, like walk the dog, a little bit of movement. That's really important. Um, I do peptide therapy as far as supplements I take and stuff like that. I like peptides a lot. I'm focused on my hormones right now. So I am a fan of bioidentical hormone replacement if you, if you need it. And so I have some things I'm replacing. Um, I do labs, right? So we, like, I wasn't feeling good. Well, let's run some labs, right? And test it and figure it out. Those are kind of the big ones, right? Meditation, neurofeedback, light therapy, sauna, heat and, and cold. Cold, I tried many years ago. It's very hard for me. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm back in it now, right? I think I'm feeling a little better. So I'm working on the cold contrast. Um, I do a lot of vagal uh, stimulation stuff and trauma stuff. So different modalities like psych K, um, kind of more esoteric things to clear things out. Um, e even sometimes EFT tapping. I think it's most of the gist of what I do. That's kind of my consistent. Oh, I like I'm hiking now. So I'm going in the nature. So like that's really nature is very, very powerful. But I didn't grow up like in the woods and hiking. I grew up in the city of Detroit, right? You know what I mean? And yeah. so it's been a thing now that I can, I found a trail that isn't too far. So I try to, um, so I've actually picked up running and uh, which a big deal after some blown discs in my back. I, I deal with some chronic stuff around that. Um, I'll be going to Columbia in a couple months. I got to stabilize that, but huge stem cell um, procedures I'm going to be having in Columbia, injections into my spine and, uh, and systemic. So that that's kind of exciting. Um, so those are the kinds of stuff that I'm into and am willing to do. Uh, and I like a lot of the woo-woo stuff. Like I'll, I like to know thyself. Um, I think the more I can know myself, the more I can understand and relate to others and have compassion for myself. Yeah. So I like things like astrology and human design or Myers-Briggs, just anything I can figure out about why I tick, you know, the way I do helps me. But I think that's a gist of, of, of my overall hiking movement. Yeah. I do a few brain exercises like brain gym, but I, I am focused on um, brain health in terms of, because what I do you know, to be honest, at this point with we, I don't know what the patients you're seeing, but it's getting harder, right? People are coming in in more crisis. It's, it's the majority of all my new patients are healthcare workers. They're all physicians and nurses that are, are done and they're not doing well. And, and to hear every day, all day, 
how how poorly people are doing and how suicidal everybody is and how everybody wants to give up and I have to be everyone's cheerleader and keep establishing hope. It, it does take a, a toll on the system. So mm-hmm. I've had to um, reduce hours a little bit. I've had to reduce how many I can see. I tell staff, I said, we need to cut it back a little bit. I, I, I can't, I can't all day. So you have to know, you know, part of my self-care is knowing what I can do and what I can't. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of why I'm doing more <laughs> so I can keep seeing people at that level. So yeah, I use a lot of neurotechnologies. I use a lot of current. Um, oh, I also do, I have, you know, rectal ozone. <laughs> I do so many things. I love that stuff. Ozone nebulizing, not every day, right? These are yeah. just things that are interspersed to kind of keep the system at bay, but sauna lifting is every single day. Um, pretty much. I love it. We've uh, my husband and I are in the market for a cold plunge and a sauna. I, we were going to, uh, finish our deck off into like a three season porch. And I was like, Nope, I want a sauna and an ice bath out here. And so I'm in the, well, if you, if you have the, the, the money at a photo bed, photo biomodulation bed, you were talking about if I could get a light bed, like on top of it. Oh, yeah. Like that's, that's, if that would be like the, but you know, they're, they're, they're pricey. <laughs> yeah. I have a red light. I've been in a red light bed, um, that used to be Tony Robbins bed. Mm. Um, and he, he sold it. I'm sure he got the newer model yeah, and yeah. Uh, it ended up at a place here in Omaha. So, so awesome. Okay. Well, you'll love this, but I end on my podcast with something called the semen analysis. <laughs> Your name cracks me up. <laughs> I'm such a 12 year old boy. I'm like, yeah, that's okay. I was talking to some of my L and D nurses about a new invention. I'm, I'm trying to figure out something to put my name on semen. So, um, okay. So I, I pulled this study that I just thought was really, um, awesome. So it is from the, uh, PLOS medicine journal. It's about social relationships and mortality risk. It's actually a meta-analysis. And I just think, you know, we talk about all these therapies and your feedback, eat right, da, da, da. I really think that people undervalue the impact on your health of social relationships and human interaction. Um, this cancer research, this, now I'm going off topic on the same analysis, but this cancer researcher I was talking to recently, I'm going to have her on the podcast, but she was talking about the power of isolation and its connection with cancer. And she was studying these rats. And she said, if you take the rat and you isolate them in these cages, these rats will rapidly develop these giant mammary cancers. Like they all develop cancer. If you isolate them, like you give them all the food, all the water, all the things, the basic needs for survival, and they will develop cancer because the isolation causes inflammation, inflammation drives these cancer lines. And so anyway, I just want people to kind of understand this. So basically not only the quantity of your societal relationships, but the quality of these relationships. And I think in 2021, we have a lot of people running around living in a very superficial world, right? We don't have these deep human connections anymore. And so this meta-analysis basically looked at the extent that these relationships have on your mortality and the aspects of the social relationships that were most highly predictive. Um, And so they looked at all of these studies. This was a meta-analysis, okay? 148 studies with 308,000 participants, okay? 
And basically the effect size, there was, there's a 50% increased likelihood of survival of a participant with stronger social relationships. And this would remain completely consistent across age, sex, initial health status, cause of death, and the follow-up period. Um, and so for the semen analysis today, I just want you guys reach out to somebody in your life, really start to pay attention to the people in your life that you form relationships with. You guys hear me say it all the time on my social media, audit your circle, um, because it will have a huge and profound impact on your health. Um, the conclusion was the influence of social relationships on your risk for mortality is comparable with well-established risk factors for mortality. And you guys hear us talking about cancer and cardiovascular disease and all these things. And your relationships matter. And, you know, maybe you need to have relationships with healers in your life, like Dr. Rimka. So uh, Dr. Rimka, tell people where to find you, how to work with you. Best place probably is uh, my website. So that can be drrimka.com. Make it real simple, but it's brainandbodysolutions.com has been my you know website for a very long time, but many things will get you there. I'm the only Dr. Rimka in the entire world very rare name. Um, website will have Instagram and, and Facebook, but that'll, there's a, you know, how to get started, neurofeedback, uh, my store with all kinds of some biohacking devices and, and other things you can find in there that if you want to, the sauna I use and the lights I use and the glasses I wear, they're, they're, my, the makeup I wear is even on there. Um, yeah, drmka.com, really the best way. Uh, and I post, you know, to Instagram, all the time. I try to do as much free content, uh, educational as I can, because I think an educated uh, patient is really my ideal person. I'd re- I want you to know things. I w- I'd rather have you already mm-hmm. there and I'm just fine tuning and you only need me for a few months. I fine tune, we, we slap on some, some brain therapies, you know, and then I teach you how to, to use that for the rest of your life. Right. And, and so you can navigate the healthcare system the way you are able to do with your daughter, the way I'm able to do with my son because we know the right questions. We know how to stand up and fight mm-hmm. because it's an overwhelming thing if you don't speak the language. Um, and so, yeah, that's how they can find me. And I like to help, I'm a big team player. I like to work with other, all their other clinicians. So if you see me, you don't have to stop seeing other people, but I could bring a perspective to your plan that maybe nobody else is bringing. Incredible. Incredible. Well, thank you for the work that you do and everything you bring to the world. And uh, thank you all for listening to the Fit and Fabulous podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you leave us your reviews, share it with your friends, all of you on Spotify and Apple podcasts and YouTube. We love you so much. Thank you, Dr. Rimka. Thank you.